You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Demore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to AskLisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 29, how do I get my kid into mindfulness? So your advice to have a little piece of chocolate, a little getaway every day later in the afternoon to look forward to is expanding my waistline. (laughs) (laughs) I need something new. No, you need more chocolate. I'm sure the answer (laughs) is more chocolate. I do. I mean, when I'm stressed, I absolutely turn to it. And, you know, I am spending the week at a friend's place in New York City. And I have to say, it's a bit depressing. My favorite restaurants, places here in New York, hotels have all shut down. And I got anxious. I just got really, really anxious because I've never seen the city like this. And um, I completely forgot we have Malika Chopra on and without even thinking, have been using the Chopra app because it, it, there's something about forcing yourself to slow down that I think we've forgotten. As much as our lives have slowed down, Lisa, in the pandemic, I think sometimes you're thinking still about a thousand things. I think that's right. And I, I will say... Over the course of the pandemic, you know, we spend so much time with our own minds. I've gotten a lot more deliberate around doing things like leaving my phone at home when I go for a walk. That's a good one. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You know, I realize when we're around technology so much, it's very easy. I call it shredded attention. You know, it's mm. very easy to feel flooded. And then when I'm doing stuff in person, when I'm with people, you know, either um, at the school where I consult or even just hanging out with my own family, I realize how much better I feel when I'm just focusing on the one thing. Mm. Shredded attention. I like that. I'm so excited that we've got Malika Chopra on today. She is a mom, an entrepreneur, an author of the Just Be series, Just Breathe, Just Be You. We're going to tell you all about that. 
But these are how-to books for children. It explains resilience, meditation, mindfulness, self-reflection. She's also taught meditation to thousands of people, and she's currently a mindfulness consultant for the animated series Stillwater. That's on Apple TV. Malika, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be talking to both of you. We are thrilled to have you with us. We are so excited. And I guess I want to ask you, Malika, to kick it off. For people who feel that mindfulness is just really a bunch of hocus pocus, what does the research tell us about the real benefits in practicing mindfulness? So good question. You know, when my father, Deepak Chopra, started talking about the mind-body connection and introducing meditation, mindfulness, and all of these techniques with other pioneers 30 years ago, he was almost considered a witch doctor selling snake oil. Yes, I remember. Yeah, so now we have decades of research um, that seems to have caught up with the wisdom traditions that all of us practice around the world. And what the research is now showing is not just in children, but just generally for adults, these practices can help with sleep, depression, they stimulate um, good hormones, as we say, um, serotonin and dopamine. And more recently, there's been more research specifically around children, showing the benefits uh, for focus, for self-control, and also just enhancing emotions. In fact, there was a recent study where they showed kids fearful images and faces, and the brain reacted less to the stimuli, um, showing that, again, with a regular uh, mindfulness or meditation practice, that we're really even uh, changing the way that the brain reacts to certain situations. That's amazing. And, and Malika, I will say that um, the skepticism around mindfulness practices was definitely around when I was doing my training in academic psychology. Um, I, I got my degree almost 25 years ago, and only then were there sort of the beginning acknowledgments of the value of mindfulness. And, I, and I, I'm not proud of this in my field, but there had been sort of a, a standoffishness about it. And then, of course, like as you say, you know, just absolutely truckloads of research has since come to bear that has clarified for us how incredibly valuable mindfulness practices are on so many levels. It's a really good point, Lisa, because um, Nina and I maybe come from the Eastern wisdom traditions where these practices have lasted thousands of years. And there's a scientific model here in the West where we look to research and data. But as someone who learned how to meditate when I was nine, and have been practicing these techniques for you know over 40 years now. We know from experience how they help us feel physically and emotionally better, but also, and this is something that I like to really emphasize in my work, is that these practices are not just about anxiety or um, stress release. They really are practices to know more about who we are, why we exist, how we can serve in the world. And so I always like to make sure that we're emphasizing uh, that these wisdom traditions are really about a holistic approach to life. Okay, Malika, are you ready for some questions from our listeners? Excited, yes. Okay, here's a question we got. I value meditation. However, I cannot get my children to engage. They are 12 and 12, twin girls, and a son age 10. 
They would all benefit, especially my one daughter who faces sensory challenges. When I try to share quiet moments, short meditations, etc., they declare it dumb, (laughs) only for old people, you name it. Any tips? How do I get kids to engage without them feeling like this is a chore? Such a great question, and actually the most frequent question I get after people ask me, what is it like being Deepak Chopra's daughter, is how do I teach (laughs) my kids? So I have a very strong opinion on this, which is it doesn't matter if your kids meditate or not. And don't try to discipline them with a practice like this. Rather, as a parent, what is your practice? Are you meditating? Are you uh, reacting to situations more mindfully? And when you role model for your children and then share tips or practices with them, they learn by example, just like they do with everything else in life. So 12 is a great age, actually, where we can uh, share practices with our kids. That's what I've tried to do in my books is actually write for children so that they can learn by themselves, but also not be stuck that there's a certain way to do these things. For different children, just like for different adults, we find different ways to self-regulate and to connect. So it may be through breathing. It may be through spending time in nature. It may be even uh, through dance, um, through physical activity, through martial arts. So it's really knowing your child um, and helping guide them in the practice that's right for them. But as a parent, most importantly, to role model for them through your own behavior, your own reactions, and your own practice. It's funny, Malika, to think about how you've got such a broad view, you know, of what, what could constitute like a mindfulness experience. And and one thing I can say is the longer I've practiced, I've developed a much broader view of what constitutes a therapeutic experience for kids, you know, <laughs> that um, sometimes kids will, you know, parents will call and they'll say, I think my kid needs therapy, but the kid really isn't a therapy. You know, it's very clear is not going to want therapy or doesn't want to come. And I've really started to think, or maybe they need to go do that theater program, or maybe they need, you know, to join a swim team, you know, that... I started with this very sort of rigid training about what was considered traditional therapy. And the longer I've practiced, the more relaxed I've become around what could really be helpful and it being well beyond the bounds of what I was traditionally trained to believe. But can I say the mom, the tiger mom inside of me, hearing both of you say this, like, I want to get my kids to do this on a regular basis. Like, what you're saying is like, go with the flow. I don't want to go with the flow. How do I get them to do this regularly? So, and absolutely, you know, I think I even come from the tiger mom lineage, uh, even though I have been practicing meditation and mindfulness my entire life. So it's a South Asian thing, Malika. It's a South Asian, right? (laughs) It is a South Asian thing. So we need to nurture kids to discover their unique self and use these practices to really think about where they came from, what they aspired to. But in talking about aspiration, I share an example. When we were young kids, my dad, after our meditations, would ask my brother and I, what do you want? And we would say tickets to the Celtics, a trip to Hawaii, new Atari (laughs) games, you know, our favorite food from a restaurant. And he'd listen patiently and he'd say, okay, but what? we'll work on all that. But what about asking for love, connection, inspiration, 
a sense of purpose. And that's what I'm trying to bring um, into the dialogue. Lisa, what you also said is so interesting, even in therapy, because even in meditation and mindfulness, as we've approached this in the last few decades through the lens of research, you know, through research, we ask a specific question and measure it and come up with a specific answer. And often it will be, okay, is it five breaths or 10 breaths? And then what's the exact result? These practices, it doesn't matter half the time. It's really about finding the technique that works for each child individually. I love that. Okay, so actually, along those lines of different kids needing different things and different approaches, here's another fantastic question we got from a parent. How do I do mindfulness with my nine-year-old with ADHD? It's a great question, and again, um, so relevant to what we've been discussing so far. If your child has ADHD, in fact, I spend a lot of time in classrooms and with young boys, forget about a diagnosis like ADHD, it's just really hard for them to stay still. And so we shouldn't try to because that actually creates more stress and anxiety for them. So for me, what I recommend, and that's why um, really in the beginning, I just focus on breath, the power of taking a deep breath in and a deep breath out. And what I've found is even with uh, children who are diagnosed uh, with things like ADHD and others, using movement actually helps. Using visualized breath, so we do these things like blow the butterflies away. I found, especially when I'm in classrooms with a group of really antsy third graders, there's no way I'm going to get them to sit still. Rather, what we do uh, is we do something like yoga, uh, a yoga pose. So I'll choose like tree pose, which, you know, is about balance and breath and then finding just a moment of stillness when they do find the balance. So we can use our bodies, we can use breath. And then I also recommend um, just spending time in nature because when we're out in nature, especially with our children, and we take away the stimuli that we all are bombarded with all the time, we can listen to the wind blowing through the trees. By the beach, we can listen to the sounds of the waves. Nature has healing primordial sounds, and so by exposing ourselves and our children to these sounds, we can find different ways to connect. When you describe that, what I think about is um, in the fall, I got in a habit with my 10-year-old coming up from the basement from school where we would go lay on our backs in the backyard and just look up at the sky, and we also have trees in our backyard, and there's something so organizing and powerful about just laying there looking at the sky. But I found it to be actually profoundly calming. And I'm not someone who's very good usually at quieting my mind and quieting down and sharing that experience together. So just to hear you say that just being in nature and looking at nature and listening to nature is a way we can practice mindfulness with our kids. I so appreciate the lowered bar of that. The reality is our mind is always racing with thoughts. Um, and so there is no emptying the mind of thoughts. We don't do that. Rather, what we do is we find techniques to slow down the cycle of one thought stimulating another, stimulating another. And what we find is that once you start some practice, maybe it's just taking three deep breaths to begin, 
it becomes actually part of your coping mechanism. It brings you some peace and you remember the more you do it that you can turn to that uh, in moments both of stress and anxiety. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. Earth Breeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using Earth Breeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good, not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash asklisa. I was recently watching an interview of the wife of a world leader, and in the middle of the interview, she reaches over to pull her bra strap up, and I thought, boy, this is something all women everywhere are struggling with. This is why I absolutely love Honey Love. I have the crossover bra, which is just so functional, but it feels so good on. I feel like I've got the support without feeling like I've got this heavy-duty bra on. I've been through all the bras. The elastic wears out, the underwire pinches into your skin, you have to hand wash some, you can only wash it in this type of detergent, and I just wanted something that takes out all the fuss and will support me day in and day out. Honey Love's not just supporting women, it's empowering women. So treat yourself to the best bra on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash askalisa. You can use our exclusive link to get 20% off. That's honeylove.com slash askalisa to find your perfect fit. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. We hope you support the show and tell them Askalisa sent you. Honeys, you deserve this. Free the pain and discomfort and keep the support with Honey Love. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. You mentioned your dad, and I remember when he wrote that book, New York Times bestselling book, Ageless Body, Timeless Mind. This was revolutionary. It was really big. It was huge also for the Indian community to see someone like him talk about this. My parents are from Kerala, India. Ayurveda is a huge outlook, a huge course of study. Was there a moment when you were growing up when you realized or you thought, dad might be onto something here? 
Yeah, so, you know, we grew up in a family, like most Indian families, I think, especially immigrant families here, very close, super close extended family. People don't realize um, when my parents came here, they came here with $8 in their pocket, no money. My dad worked 24-7, moonlit, you know, just to make ends meet. And so he was a very stressed out and miserable person. And it was when I was nine years old that he discovered and was going through a midlife crisis himself um, when he discovered meditation. And that first practice for him was a moment of just peace and quiet and connection. And so he came home and he dragged my mother to go learn. And my mom's a very pretty calm person. So for her, there was nothing revolutionary. (laughs) <laughs> the next day, my dad made my brother and I learn. So I was nine. My brother was six. The day after that, he made my mom's sister learn and their entire family. Then my dad's brother had to learn and his family. And by the end of the week, the entire Indian community in Boston, <laughs> the entire Indian community in Boston had to learn. And so from the beginning, he brought along everyone for the ride. And what happened in our family, and that's why I'm doing the work that I'm doing now, is that I saw the transformation, not just in my father, but in my entire family and community's lives, which was as we brought these practices um, into our, our atmosphere, my parents were happier. They would talk more. Suddenly, my dad would notice my brother and I and be like, oh, so what grade are you in? <laughs> and the other thing that had happened is, you know, we saw people come to my father often who were suffering, coming from often a place of crisis. Discovering these tools helped them heal uh, and and share then more authenticity about who they were in their journey. So I would say um, on the outside, I know that my father, there's all these perceptions of him. Within our family, it was really a journey of our own healing as a family and then watching my father support others. Malika, it's interesting just to think about the overlap of your universe and mine in terms of the healing arts of the therapeutic arts. Um, One of the terms that we use to talk about clinical psychology sometimes is in terms of the wounded healer. You know, the idea of the person who has walked that path, done their own work, come to terms with the ways in which they've struggled, and then can use that as energy and information and almost like help to refine themselves as an instrument for understanding suffering and being empathic and trying to be of use. And that's so core to good psychotherapy and and good understanding of clinical practice. And so interesting to just think about the ways in which those two traditions dovetail with each other. Absolutely. Beautifully said. And I think that's, as teachers, in whatever path we choose, I do feel that the people I connect with often are the ones who also are honest and authentic about their journey. And I think that's one of the reasons my father connected with people because he also was going through his own healing. Uh, In my work, especially with children, 
What I'm able to share is the journey that we went through and the tools that I was given as a young child that stayed with me, you know, 40 years later. And then I have shared them with my children and, of course, hundreds of others, um, children and adults, and seeing how these tools really do uh, provide people with hope and connection and transformation is so powerful. Now, Malika, could you walk us through some techniques or even, if it's possible, like guide us a little bit in a meditation? Um, just give us a feel sure for how we could do it together. Absolutely. So let me teach you a really simple meditation that you can do anytime, any place, and we'll do this, it will be less than a minute. So it also, um, I want to demonstrate to people that this doesn't have to be something overwhelming. It's not a huge time commitment. So wherever you are right now, just sit comfortably. And if you want, you can close your eyes, but you can do this with your eyes open. And again, I always want to stress, especially with children, give them that permission so it feels safe. So as you're sitting there, if you choose to close your eyes, you can just take a deep breath in and out. And what I'd like you to do is in your mind, mentally in your head, just repeat the words, I am. I am. Just repeat the words at whatever pace or rhythm they come to you. And when your attention drifts away from the words I am, which is normal, natural, and you notice it's drifted away, come back to the words I am. I am. And now you can stop repeating the words I am. And take another breath in and out. And if your eyes were closed, you can open your eyes. Wow. Rena, did you feel that? It really calms you down. It, I mean, it's just, I don't know, it's transformative for me personally. I really believe in it. And I can't get over the... um. You've got it with you all the time. You carry it with you everywhere you go. You don't have to go looking for it. You don't have to find it. You can just stop what you're doing and switch to that channel and get all of the the calm that can be found there. Absolutely. In fact, I would say it is who you are. It's that that sense of peace, of spirit, of quiet is always with you. The rest of it, Lisa, is the noise around you. Malika, what about mindful eating? Do you have any advice on that? So very simple. Before you eat a meal, take a deep breath, like we did before, in and out. Notice the colors, the textures, um, the scents, aromas that are coming from your food. And when you are taking a bite, chew it, appreciate the taste, the sensations, the juices that may be coming out. And also what I would recommend is take away distractions. You know, we're so used to now um, having the TV on, checking our text messaging, watching a YouTube video, 
So a mindful eating exercise really is just about focusing on the food and being present with the food and being mindful of also, you know, we eat for so many reasons. So a whole nother practice is really recognizing, am I hungry? Am I not hungry? Why am I eating this? Food is linked to emotion. Um, you started off talking about chocolate. Yeah. Um, and, you know, for me, I turn to chocolate and sugar whenever I'm stressed. So, you know, we become more aware of why we're eating and doing certain things. See, chocolate, that, that's the snacking is my problem. But you're saying when I have that craving or my kids want the chips at 3 p.m., talk about it. Like feel it and understand why you might be turning to it, that it's not necessarily hunger. Exactly. And it doesn't mean you're not having it. I think the first step is just understanding why you're turning to it and what is the need that it's fulfilling. And over time, um, just, and this is the same even just with feelings, like I talk a lot about this in Just Feel, is, you know, um, naming our feelings, naming why we're doing something actually helps transition even our brain from that automatic response to a more mindful response to any situation. Lisa is such a big advocate about gratitude. Malka, why is gratitude so important for mental wellness? Well, one, there's a lot of research, again, talking about research about the benefits of any gratitude practice. Now, of course, the a kindness practice. But ultimately, what gratitude does is it helps transition us from that ego-based self perspective to really thinking about others um, and thinking about how we're connected to others or how we are connected to Mother Earth or a larger universe. So I think what it does is it expands our sense of self um, to something that is more universal. I have to say, like, I am so grateful both for your time today, but for two other things as well. There's something about the way that you talk about meditation and mindfulness that makes it feel accessible. It makes it feel like the kind of thing that one could really do. And then the other thing I'm grateful for is I really do think I came into this conversation with a misunderstanding that you've cleared up, which is that the goal really of successful meditation would be to empty the mind, to clear the mind, to to go entirely quiet. And I was really struck and I would say also moved when I heard you say, that's never going to happen. <laughs> that's not how the mind works. But that the goal instead is to actually slow down the jumping from thought to thought to thought. And I don't know if I'm quite getting it right, but something about the way you frame it as something we are doing, can do, and can make possible at home is is just a huge gift, and I'm really grateful. Thank you so much, and you got it. Yeah, you articulated it beautifully. Okay, so speaking of gifts, we get to give away three copies of your new book, Just Be You, Tell us a little bit more about it. I'm so excited about this book. Yeah, so Just Be You is the third in this trilogy of books. You can almost think of it as the mind, body, spirit, a package for kids. But Just Be You really is about asking questions, setting intentions about who you aspire to be, and then also just feeling pride in who you are. What is your special self and celebrating that? And so the book is really filled with exercises and ideas about really what makes you unique and how do we celebrate that. 
these practices are really about discovering who we are um, and how we can serve ourselves, our families, and the world in a really authentic and purposeful way. I love that. And Malika, you have a whole new, just dropped yesterday, Meditations for Kids. Tell us how we can get access to it and give us a little more information. I'm really proud of the Chopra app, which you had mentioned before has been helpful to you. And what we've done in the Chopra app now is added more kids meditations, mindful parenting meditations, and exercises for connection. So the easiest way to access those is to go to Chopra.com. And over there, you'll find all the links for that. But I am really excited to finally, uh, in various ways, be sharing more of these practices with kids, with students, with educators. It's a very exciting time. And you sign up on the website, you get emails, so you get the latest. And why it's so good is I think three times or so a year, your dad does a free 21-day meditation with Oprah Winfrey. And I love it because I get it in my inbox and then I realize, oh my gosh, I haven't been meditating. And I jump in on that. I, I really feel like it has changed my quality of life. I really believe in it. Malika, thank you for your time. This has been really powerful for me personally. I, I've learned a huge amount and I'm so grateful for how generously you share what you know. And thank you. That's so wonderful to hear. So Lisa, what's your parenting to go this week? You know, as Malika was talking, what I was thinking about is how often in parenting we need neutral third parties, <laughs> which is to say we can have a really great idea, like suggesting that our kid meditate, and our kid might be even open to the idea if it doesn't come from us. <laughs> but it's kind of the kiss of death phenomenon if you're the parent and you suggest it. And so as Malika was talking, I was thinking about things like the value of a terrific book that you can just hand your kid. And that sometimes a child or a teenager will take advice from a book, but not from a parent. And so um, I think when we get into those spots in parents where we really want a kid to take our advice, or we really want them to try something different, often a good way to make it happen is to find another source for that information as opposed to being the one to drop it on our kids. That's wonderful. Great advice. Thank you so much, Lisa. You bet. I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.